how I wish I was Baudelaire and in the 19th century and could just sort of grab money off my mother and not go to any work at all. But, <laughs> but then I guess I, I don't wish I, I don't wish right. I was Baudelaire because, you know, I'd be a poetic genius, but also die and sort of suffer an agonizing yeah. uh, long death from <laughs> drawbacks. sexual diseases. Yeah. I'm Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Rickets. Thank you all for listening. It has been a busy little stretch of time. I am in the middle of a, technically it's a residency. Uh, I'm not there, so I'm not a resident, but I was the late addition to a team, a composer and a lyricist who are, who've been writing a musical for a couple of years, and I was brought in at the last minute to help with some plot stuff. Uh, so I'm in the middle of that. It's very busy and fun and, and crazy. Um, I am actually going to be bringing them on the show soon uh, in in a kind of a companion to today's episode, which is I, which I think is, is a really juicy, fun one. Uh, very quickly, though, a couple, a couple things I wanted to cover. First, I was in the bookstore the other day and I saw that Shashi Bot's book, The Most Precious Substance on Earth, is available in a really beautiful American hardcover. I have to say, I think the American designers outdid the Canadian ones. It looks great. Uh, she was really generous in coming on as a guest a long time ago, way before her book was available in the U.S. Uh, it is episode 16. It's a good It's a good conversation if you want to go back and check it out. I will include a link in the show notes to her book, The Most Precious Substance on Earth, which is just like a really fun, delightful, uh, gossipy, sad, funny buttery, delicious read. Uh, also out now is a new book by Shane McRae called Cain Named the Animal. He was kind enough to send me a copy and it's really good. Uh, Cameron and I actually may be talking about one of the poems from it in an upcoming episode. And there are a number I have dog-eared in there that I, I may want to bring in. He has He did the thing that every poet is tempted to do, which is to write a new poem about Orpheus and Eurydice uh, that doesn't suck and that isn't just totally redundant uh, with all of the other many, many poems about Orpheus and Eurydice. Uh, and, and he did. I mean, I think that's one of my favorite poems in the book. I don't think it's it's a it's a little bit atypical for him, but it's a, it's a terrific book. I do hope you will check it out. Cain Named the Animal by Shane McRae. I'll have links to both to that and to Shashi's book in the show notes. Uh, also, Boy, I heard from a lot of you about the last episode, <laughs> The Rabbit Hole, part one and part two. So part one is on the, the main feed, this one, where you're getting this episode. Part two is on The Secret Show at sleerickets.substack.com. Uh, what, what Brian and I both heard pretty consistently was that the meatier and certainly more controversial half was the the second half. So some people who listened only to the first half said, oh, I thought there was going to be more disagreement. Where was all the controversy? Well, the answer is it's on the fucking secret show. So go to sleerickets.substack.com. I, I want to try an experiment because there are, because I do want people to get to hear some of this stuff. There's some really good material on there that most of you have not gotten to hear. So here's what I am going to try. And I'm just, for now, I'm just going to try this for the month of July because I don't know... Well, it's almost the end of July. Maybe I'll say through the end of summer, through the end of July and August. Uh, here's what I want to try. 
I am going to go to all of the people who have already subscribed and pay, had paid to subscribe. So you can subscribe for free uh, and just get the very, very occasional email I will send out, which is really almost never. Or you can subscribe for a very low monthly or, or yearly price and, uh, and get uh, bonus episodes. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go to everybody who's already paid to subscribe, and I'm just going to add a free week to their subscription. So you don't have to do anything. If you've already paid to subscribe, don't do anything. I'm just going to add a free week to your subscription. And then to anybody else, if you were already signed up with a free subscription, I'm going to go ahead and do this today or tomorrow. And if you sign up for a free subscription, that is, you just go online to sleeverickets.substack.com, you put in your email address, you don't have to add any credit card, anything, don't don't have to put anything else, just put, add your email address. I'm going to give you a free week. So uh, you can sign up anytime through, well, just, let's just, for now, let's just say July and August. And uh, I will, as soon as I see your name on there, I don't check, you know, every day, but as soon as I see your name on there, I will add a free week and you can just start listening to uh, all of the secret show episodes there are there there are a bunch up there now i have another little goodie bag one i'm going to add in the next couple days uh the i think the fan favorites so far are batshit which is the fourth one mendacity which is the seventh one and uh and the rabbit hole part two well people like that one and they hate it and sort of gratifying to me is that we've we seem we we managed to we, we managed to provoke both people on the right and people on the left. Uh, you know, I, I, a lot of our conversation ended up a lot of the disagreement, a lot of the the toothier parts of our conversation dealt with this question of how we feel about other people's beliefs when they are radically different from our own, and I think. I'm not going to try to argue with Brian when he's not here, but I think that a lot of the disagreement really came down to a question of the word understand, what it means to understand somebody else's beliefs or somebody else's point of view, whether that means to sympathize with it, to just literally try to uh, get your head around it, uh, or, or something else, or maybe uh, both and. Anyway, uh, that was a really fun episode. I think that you will you will enjoy it, or you will enjoy arguing with it. Please do write in. I, I have a I got a lot of good mail I want to get to, but I, I think I'm just gonna have to dedicate an upcoming episode just to emails because uh, there's some really really good ones. So I'm gonna do that. Not today. Not while I'm trying to also do this this uh, musical theater non-residency residency. residency. Uh, For now, let's just go to today's episode, which was a great conversation I had with Cameron Clark. You can find Cameron as always on uh, Erratosphere. That's, I think, his main, that's his main haunt, I believe, online. W.T. Clark, there's a link in the show notes. But we talked about uh, rap and musical theater and rhyme. And specifically, we started from this essay that Adam Gopnik had in The New Yorker recently called The Rules of Rhyme or The End of the Line or any number of other, uh, he had several other titles that it went by. Uh, we, we, there's, we had, we had a lot of thoughts about it. So uh, we'll get into that. And, um, and then I, I have a whole other, I have a lot of other I have a lot of really good stuff in the can right now that I just haven't yet had time to edit, but that's all coming soon, as is uh, as is an episode. I'm just, just going to do a solo one for all of the emails 
and uh, as well as the, the the like epic AMA that Alice and Brian and I recorded, that it was a lot of fun. That's I think going to have to be broken in half because it's so fucking long, uh, but but so good. So uh, thank you as always for listening, and do write to me at sleeverickets at gmail.com. But enough fucking housekeeping. Let's get to the show. I got like like back-to-back notes from you and Alice uh, a couple of weeks uh-huh. ago. Alice saying like, ugh, I read that article in the New Yorker about rhyme. It was terrible. Don't bother. And then you sent me one saying like, oh, I read that article in New Yorker about rhyme. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. We should talk about it. And so I, I sent her a note today saying like, oh, I, I, like, I have my thoughts about it, but like, I'm curious what your objections were. Mm. And she, like, she, she was so much like something Joanna would say. She said, ah, to be honest, I just skimmed it. And I thought, this guy thinks he's so funny. Um, it's pretty fair. I think like he does think he's pretty funny. Uh, you know, whatever else you might have to say about it, but it it was referred to by a few different people in the poetry world. I saw the, the impression I got, uh, apart from, from the note I got from, from Alice. And then the one I got from you was that people in the, in the formal poetry world seem to be happy about it. And, uh, and I read it and I have very mixed feelings, but I'm, I was curious you, what, what it was that caught your eye about it, because you have a great deal of knowledge of the formal world of poetry, but you don't, I mean, as we've said, like almost nobody actually identifies as a new formalist, but you in particular seem to sort of resistant to, to any camp or category or like set of aesthetic loyalties. So. I certainly don't think of you as a new formalist. I think of you as someone who, who like has a knowledge of meter and rhyme, but sort of operates relatively free of them at the moment. But yeah, tell me, tell me what you, what you yeah, thought of this. I, 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 yeah, that is, that is, I am very, I'm very fascinated by meter and rhyme. Meter maybe more than rhyme, but fascinating both. And I do, I do, I'd say I'd write, I write 40 or 30% in meter and rhyme, but yeah, no, I, Thanks for that. I do like the idea that I sort of stay out of these static camps. Um, so I saw this on a thread on a writer's fair, as I see most things mm-hmm. um, brought up. And I looked at it and I don't, I am probably, I have as mixed feelings, as much mixed feelings about it as you do, especially with I, my first problem is its treatment of rap music, mm. especially it's sort of date, it's dating, which I think is sort of, the problem with most writers who come to write about rap music in that they either have no clue what rap music is and they go to the very famous ones yeah. or they go to the rap music they remember from their childhood. Right. Um, and my second problem is it of it is it's massive. The, the, the second half, I find it becomes more and more boring as it goes on. And I, that's mainly <laughs> because I... I'm not as interested in light verse as the writer seems to think I am. And I also (laughs) think he misses a massive conceptual trick because he isn't really able to talk about modern or contemporary rhyming poetry and especially contemporary rhyming poetry, which isn't light verse. That that seems a massive gap in the article, which I, I very much wish it talked about. Yeah. So the the occasion for the article seems to be that Daniel Levin Becker published this book called What's Good, which is about it's about rap, I believe. And I 
it, it at least talks a lot about rhyme. I don't know that rhyme is the focus of the book, but he, but he, he has a lot to say about rhyme in, in this book, What's Good. And then it, it felt to me, like my joke to Alice was that like, some guy published a book about rap and then Adam Gopnik said, hey, this is gonna be a great opportunity for me to write about musical theater. Like, <laughs> yes. like it's like That's much so of the true. article is about <laughs> musical theater. Like he, he knows seemingly nothing about rap except what he read in this book. And then lots about musical theater and like a smidgen about contemporary poetry that's not musical theater. Mm. Uh, yes. And, and he, then he see, but like, instead of just saying like, hey, I have some smart and worthwhile things to to say about Gilbert and Sondheim and, and mm. Cole Porter. Uh, and like this book on rap was fine. He, he needs to come up with some sort of weird unified theory, which like, the 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 sort of joint theses that I could glean were uh, that rhyme can lots of different kinds of rhyme can be pleasing, like people yeah. can enjoy rhyme of different sorts, and that no type of rhyme has an intrinsic political agenda, and like. I can't argue with either of those claims. And I think that's partly why some of the formalist people seem to like it was that it was sort of like a very clumsy apology for like saying like, hey, rhyme can be good. And like just that much is rare enough to encounter in, in like contemporary mainstream, you know, critical letters that that like, okay, we'll take the win. But it it's it's done in a really odd way. I mean, particularly like his, mm. his argument about the, how rhyme is not politically charged. He makes that argument by like making like claim after claim about all the ways in which rhyme was politically charged in one time or another, but in different directions. And it just felt like almost all of his claims about morality or politics were just totally beside the point. Right. Were like, I mean, we're just like wrong. Mm. And he, start, he starts off the article with this sort of uh, long conversation about slant rhyme, and especially in, in hip hop. And yeah. you think at first it's going to be a sort of a, his attempt to celebrate slant rhyme or something, right. or to attempt to say that slant rhyme is in some way superior to full rhyme, or at least should be given more credit. And then he turns around halfway through and goes, no, actually, full rhyme's fine as well. And here's Stephen's son time, and here's some other people. And yeah, no, rhyme's great. And yeah, it just boils down to like, in the end, he just says, rhyme is good all forms of rhyme is good and yeah, everything's good. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe the New Yorker aren't crying out for long essays on musical theater. So he had to sort of grab his opportunity when he could, but you know, it, it is a, it's a very confused piece, I think. Yeah, it just, it feels a little bit like, it feels sort of annoying in a way that, that at least to my ear sounds like very of our time. I mean, I realize like mm. I just reread Shelley's Apology for Poetry and I realize like, since forever, people have been saying X poetry is bad for you. No, it's good for you. And in both cases, I think like, ah, oh, Jesus, shut the fuck up. But this is like, has a lot of that. Uh, he, you're right. He like, he quotes, a lot of it is he, he, he makes arguments by quoting other people approvingly and then sort of backing away from them after he's quoted them. 
He says, this is, as Levenbecker's know, as Levenbecker knows, a familiar romantic defense of the rough, the handmade, the artisanal. What sounds to the stuffy, like simple carelessness, whether it's Kanye West pairing Thirsty with 30 or Emily Dickinson pairing Crumb with Home, is the enlivening evidence of free men and women at work. That argument to begin with, which is like a very, very familiar argument that that stuffy snobs like uh, don't like imprecision or, or, or looseness, but but like vital, exciting, energetic artists like to like to mismatch and use near near rhyme. But I, I mean, I, I had to say that the Kanye West pairing thirsty with 30 or Emily Dickinson pairing crumb with home. Like, not only do I think there is literally no stuffy person anywhere who objects to Emily Dickinson pairing Crumb with Home, but, like, definitely, if there were such a person, it would not be the same. Like, the, those are not the same kind of slant rhyme, and people mm. respond to them very differently. And it's for very specific and, like, fairly self-evident reasons. Like, the, he, he and, and Levin Becker talks about... Um, here, Gopnik on Levenbecker on Slant Rhyme says, it's not that perfect rhyme can't accomplish the same things, he says, praising a Tupac lyric, and even as a crack fiend mama, you always was a black queen mama, but that the imperfection is what makes it feel purposeful and personal. So like, first of all, I mean, I, I'm guessing that when Tupac says that line, he drops the D from fiend. But if you mm, don't yeah, drop the D yeah. from fiend, it's not a true rhyme. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a perfect, like if you're gonna give one example of a perfect rhyme, that's not one. But even more to the point, like, the imperfection of the rhyme is what makes it feel purposeful and personal. Bullshit, like bullshit. Like there's the, 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 really the outlier here. The outlier here is not rap; it's musical theater because rap is just doing exactly what songwriting has been doing since forever, which is privileging assonance over consonance. Mm. Like because in song and in vocal performance, the vowel drastically overwhelms the uh, the consonant. All that really matters is that you match the vowel, and in rap. You know when you are innovating and and coming up with you know new ways of rhyming and new you know new turns and surprising uh, effects, you do so you know with often it's feminine rhyme because or feminine rhyme or triple rhyme because that's harder to do, but it's it's almost always assonant. Uh, and I would even say like you can look for any number of examples uh, where where like it's clear that the the rapper doesn't like rap doesn't honestly distinguish in many cases between assonant rhyme and true rhyme uh, and i think that's the, that's that's even more the case nowadays right yeah b uh, believe me sweetie I, uh, I got enough to feed the needy like believe me and sweetie and needy sweetie and needy are true rhyme in that case because of how he pronounces sweetie but believe me is assonant rhyme and it doesn't matter it's the same effect like like rap like songwriting only most you know for the most part only cares about assonance uh, the one time he, well, sorry, he uses the term assonance twice, and once it's a list in which it's not clear what he means, but in the other time he uses it to mean literally the opposite of assonance. Like, like it made me, made me cringe for the New Yorker's famous fact checkers because he uses assonance to mean either dissonance or consonance, which is the exact opposite of assonance. Where, where is that? Where is, what's he says, that? let me find it. It's Phyllis McGinley has a line about where she rhymes toaster with disaster, which is uh, yeah. which is a good consonant rhyme. 
Mm. And he uses, I mean, it's a, it's a awkwardly constructed sentence, which is why it's not totally clear what he means, but, but it's clear that the one thing he can't mean in that context is assonance. Uh, he yeah, says, yeah, yeah uh, here, um, uh, here's the Phyllis McGinley lines are his paper propped against the electric toaster, nicely adjusted to his morning use. Daniel at breakfast studies the world disaster and sips his orange juice. And then Gopnik's response to that is the assonance of toaster and disaster sits just aside the strict scheme. No. No, the, I mean, I think what he means is maybe the dissonance of toaster and disaster, but toaster and mm. disaster is consonance. What it's certainly not is assonance. He also uses, he like, I think he's trying to be fancy or he's also trying to be maybe like egalitarian. And he, he, he uses the phrase monosyllabic prayers where he, what he should say is masculine rhymes because then the result is that he seems to be referring to a, like several two syllable words as monosyllabic. Maybe he had the word disaster stuck in his mind so much that he accidentally forgot that Although disaster and assonance sound slightly similarly, I mean, they are not related, and 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 that's how assonance came into the picture. I don't know. I but think, yeah, I think they, it they're... might be the thing that happens um, when people use when when there's a like dissonant didn't feel hoity-toity enough. The same way that people mm. will use reticent when they should when they mean hesitant, uh, uh, because it yes. sounds a, it sounds like a slight difference, it's yes. slightly different that way, or um, can continuous when what they mean is continual um mm, it sounds it sounds some yeah it sounds yeah. slightly more elite yeah, yeah what's the yeah, other one yeah. um untrammeled when what they mean is like untrampled it's <laughs> 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 so like i mean i think like it's a, it's very common and i think i'm sure sure i've done this stuff before as well but like come on new yorker fact checkers like somebody somebody <laughs> fix this stuff like good good lord poor new yorker this article is huge i mean i mean poor fact checkers checking for all these stories all the lines of musicals he quotes one after another after another yeah he he really has a problem with like not understanding when enough's enough in terms of examples i think and it's i mean yeah it's it's so so many so many lines about so many quotations from musicals he also like again like i don't fucking care but because he makes such a stink about how it's so important in musicals for for you to use uh particularly in like in like a certain stripe of musical and he, he cites Gilbert and, and Sondheim as being like mm. really brilliant, true, true, true rhymers with, with really ostentatious complex. The, the rhyme he cites for Gilbert is not true rhyme. <laughs> he, he's, he's rhyming a voiced S with an unvoiced S, which like fucking I don't do. Like, I mean, fine, whatever, you do what you like, but like the same, mm. I don't know. It just, it just feels like it's, it is, again like you could just write a nice essay about like hey rhyme's great you know like there's no mm -hmm. reason to oppose these different camps i think like beckon lever or whatever his name is sounds sounds silly at least at least his arguments about rhyme sound silly maybe it's a good book otherwise but like his arguments about rhyme sound silly ruskin's argument about arguments about ancient architecture sounds silly uh um what is the thing oh the thing that makes me fucking crazy that gopnik cites he refers to Pope as uh, oh yes, he's yeah. the chilly Augustine smoothness and rule bound rhyme of Pope, and mm -hmm. like Pope, I, yeah, there's many not much chilly like, about Pope. Pope wrote many poems I don't like, and like his his translations mm -hmm. of the Iliad and the Odyssey are, are not, not known for their their fleetness and elegance. But like, come on now, like that's how you're going to summarize Pope? Like, mm -hmm. I just just for the sake of anybody who's not already familiar, like 
O cursed dear horrors of all conscious night, how glowing guilt exalts the keen delight, provoking demons all restraint remove and stir within me every source of love. I hear thee, view thee, gaze o'er all thy charms and round thy phantom glue my clasping arms. That's the chilly Augustine smoothness and rule-bound <laughs> rhyme of Pope. Like, come on. Oh, yeah. Pope isn't. Pope is no, by no means my favorite poet, but no, no, I, me neither. The Dunciad is a great, is a savage poem. Oh God, yeah, yeah. And then he says he, he again, like, like rap's great, and rap is different than like why do why do the why do there why does there need to be this weird even when it's not moral it's like it's like aesthetically moralized speech where he says like freed from a narrow vein of what verse is and does rap was more richly in touch with all the resources of the language like. Oh, right. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> like Alexander Pope and Shakespeare and Dunn were not sufficiently in touch with like the, the rich resources of the English language. Like, come on. Oh, it's yeah. just it's an, like, an absurd line of argumentation. I, yeah, I think this comes back to my theory. That I think most most all great poems, yeah, most great poets like Dunn or Shakespeare had much, were not, were not just in touch with all the, uh, as many or more resources than the average rapper, but had a more refined sense of those resources than the average rapper. Um, and there's the average anybody. I mean, they, like, yeah, yeah, of course. You know? Cause like, there's great, I mean, that's the other thing that was fun. You sent me a whole list of. Uh, yeah. Rap. Did you, did you listen, listen to them? I listened to all of it. Uh, I didn't listen to all of it more than once, but oh, I did try no, to get, I listened, I listened to all of it and I took some notes and there's some great, I mean, really great. They're also just like to, uh, just to, um, to like demonstrate how, how out of like how misplaced so much of this is like in addition to getting lines where you see that that like rap often does not distinguish between assonant and true rhyme the other one which i know is very is very famous i know jay-z is very uncool but flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name i got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name is i just think brilliant but like the the the, the rhyme there it, it's all all that matters is the vowel and then nas in the ilmatic which you specifically recommended so much of that is written in true rhyme mm. it drops deep uh -huh. as it doesn't it drops deep as it does in my breath i never sleep because sleep is the cousin of death that's straight out of the fucking renaissance uh, oh yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful yeah. line. Beyond that's beyond that. the walls of intelligence, life is defined. I think of crime when I'm in a New York state of mind. I mean, that's that's three true, true, true rhymes with you know two of them being complex consonant sounds. I ain't the type of brother make you uh, made for you to start testing. Give me a Sw Smith and Wesson. I'll have persons undress and he uses a different word instead of persons. Yeah. And then testing. You know, I, I'm not sure how he pronounces it, but that could very well be a true rhyme for Wesson and dressing. Oh yeah, no, it is. Yeah, no, there's, there's no. I think there's no T in test. Yeah, he says testing. I think. Yeah, no, but Naz is. I think Naz is a slight exception in the list. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, the, he, yeah, clearly some of these were like some of the later ones you you quoted. Uh, the, ju oh, I, I quote Juice World, which has tw like they, their song Empty has twenty million views on YouTube. That was some dog shit. Like those lyrics were terrible, and that was like the worst of like the worst of bad 90s emo my world revolves around a black hole the same black hole that's in place of my soul empty i feel so goddamn empty i may go rogue don't tempt me big bullet holes tote semi auto i mean jesus fucking christ it's terrible there's nothing there um i did see you you um you cited specifically aesop rock as as your favorite and i i mean he's very impressive i also definitely see why it's like something because it definitely makes sense to me that this is a rapper you would specifically like because he is he's dense and inventive and uh does not like he seems much more concerned with 
like rich language play than with like a straightforward lyrical expression or claim. Mm. Um, that's quite a bit yeah. of gusto he muster up to make a dark horse rush like enough's enough. It must have struck a nerve, so they huff and puff till all the king's men fluster and clusterfuck. I mean, it's 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 really impressive. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I think Go for Guts is a very hard hitting song as well. I think the other song I recommended by uh, Aesop yeah. Monk was yeah, yeah, was yeah. yeah. When, yeah when I know I have lines book. from that too. That are, yeah, it's that are, that's a, that I think that's Im- incredibly emotional, hard, emotionally hard hitting, but also emotionally hard hitting because it has so much verbal energy and. Uh, creativity and linguistic invention in the first two verses and then it suddenly drops away into a, a series of sheer almost prosaic statements which I think most po- contemporary poets would write the third verse in sort of a, a, their sort of page poem shaped version but not write anything like the first two verses but I think for the sheer uh, starkness of the third verse to occur you need the first two verses series of incredible complex metaphorical mood adjustments and i think Aesop Aesop rock is a very i I don't even i wouldn't place him alongside sort of the rappers who are hailed nowadays as sort of lyrical geniuses like kendrick Lamar, because i think Aesop rock is a genius of language in a more sort of jeffrey hillian type way of creating emotional landscapes in linguistic terms and i do i do think it did remind me of jeffrey hill reading No, he really did. Like it, it. If if you were to pick a rapper to incarnate, mm. like they, that's that's that was the link that I saw. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Jeffrey Hill. Uh, he does. <laughs> did you see my tweet about Jeffrey Hill? I put once out on the Slee Ricketts account where he says something like, "And I turned to this woman. I said, I do have a book of rap, and it's called oh, Speech yeah. Speech. And I think yeah, seven yeah, people yeah. have read it and liked it. <laughs> it's in the yeah. It's in the um uh mm. the the. Sp- it was in yes. yeah like so, it was some talk he gave that i i, I cited something else but it was in the same talk yeah so, the sod off talk yeah yeah um yeah uh and he he says on an interview somewhere that the next shakespeare of the 20th century the 21st century will be someone who listens to rap music and i agree i think anyone who writes good poems needs to learn from rap music because i think what rap music does have which i think most contemporary your the ada glimmons of the world of the poetry world um and those types of very famous poets don't have is a verbal energy that really reinforces a lot of good hip-hop music in a sort of a linguistic sense i think i think poetry does need to find its way back in some ways to that sort of tough lyric um linguistic exterior that rap music seems to have taken up but yeah i I do think rap poetry does practice something different from rap music and i think especially in its refinement of the skills of rap music there's the examples cited in the article from mostly from the 1980s about 30 years ago (laughs) which it's it's incredible how no one seems to be able to under quote any hip-hop from sort of contempt nowadays but (laughs) the examples cited I, none of them seem to me, if I sort of stuck them next to a sort of a good poem by sort of any sort of great poets of the past or even sort of very good poets of, or these people I consider to be very good poets of today, I don't think any of the verses would stand up because they are doing um, things with puns and alliterative effects, which are both much more, I think much more uh, louder vocally and more conspicuous and I think that works because they have 
a different form of localized effect and a different sort of intended uh, wavelength. And because they're being put on a top of musical tracks, which do provide do provide the sort of the meter of hip hop, because you have you have to rap against the constraints of the bar length and uh, the 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 musical undertracking. They do to me create effects that I just I don't think I would fairly be able to sort of rank next to poetry. But I do think I do think poetry needs to take from rap its sort of rancorous energy and put that more into its linguistic compass. Because I think a lot of poems now fall apart because they turn to sort of their moral or uh, objective point and don't and aren't unable to sort of interweave that point with their actual sonic body. I think, yeah, I think, I think the great problem with contemporary poetry nowadays is that it has lost its grip on sound in a sense. And mm. the inventiveness that comes when sound and sense is not even connected, but so intermingled that they become inseparable. Yeah, I, I was thinking about a couple of distinctions that he does not make in here that feel worth worth like examining a little bit. One is this distinction between rap, like where rap is different from songwriting. Um, and I think like you see this when you, if you like, all you have to do is like go through a list of the, the most admired rappers, you know, of any given era. And you'll see that like, wow, it is, you know, there is no true meritocracy. And I'm sure there's a lot of fuckery going on in, in like who gets ahead in the rap world. But oh, sure. what is still remarkable is like, you can be super fat, you can be short, you can be tall, you can be ugly. You can have like a weird squeaky voice. You can be like rich, you could be poor, you can have a criminal record, you can be a former teen idol. Like it truly seems not to matter how you are packaged or presented if you have flow. Like mm. if it's a thing you can do, that does seem to be really, you know, again, like I'm sure there's a whole lot of, there's, I'm sure like just because I'm less familiar with it than I am with, with you know, poetry or fiction or whatever, like, I'm sure there's a lot going on there that sucks that is not that has nothing to do with merit. But like, boy, merit seems to have more to do with it than than like with than like singer songwriting, where like you kind of need to be like pretty and uh, thin and you know uh, know how to dance in many cases and this sort of thing. But it all like in the same way as like as you said, there there is a refinement in what we we might call page poetry that you don't necessarily find in rap. But it's it's a refinement in the words because the words really are all you're working with. Whereas mm. like, it's not just that in rap you have music and you have uh, vocals, but that like in a, you know, like a folk song is in some ways a template that you could like, there are, there's a long and rich tradition of rock and roll songs and folk songs and, and ballads being covered, but like, covers and rapper are, are i know they do exist but it's not nearly the same kind of tradition and that's partly i think because the individual performance of the person doing it matters so much like that is not yeah. it's not it, like it's not fair to to put rap lyrics on the page next to page poetry because the page poetry is its complete self and the rap lyrics are like one facet of a pretty mm. complex art form the, the other distinction that, that he seemed to be totally blind to was that 
you know, he says, you know, he talks specifically about Sondheim saying that, that um, what's the Sondheim line about? He... Oh, is it about, is it the Sondheim line about how any true rhyme will suddenly puck up any line of blandness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he, Sondheim says, both identities, meaning exact repetitions of a stressed syllable, like rhyming a word with the same word, and false rhymes are death on wit, Stephen Sondheim declared in his own testament. A perfect rhyme can make a mediocre line bright and a good one brilliant. A perfect rhyme snaps the word and with it the thought vigorously into place, rendering it easily intelligible. A near rhyme blurs it. Uh, and he's pretty dismissive of this. Like he basically says that's true only for Sondheim. But, but, he, but he also goes on, like he says elsewhere that like, there is at least more of a tradition in the musical theater world of of exalting true rhyme that like mm. he talks about one you know well-known musical theater writer was scandalized by uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's rhyme of country with hungry which is again like it's just simple assonance like it's assonance yeah. and with a heavy emphasis on feminine assonance because feminine rhyme assonance like because that's because that's what rap does like Period. Like that's what you know. That's what mm. rap does. The the it did make me wonder. Like, well, why would there be? Because again, rap is not unusual in in preferring assonance to to consonants or to to true rhyme. Song you know, pop songs do that same exact thing, just with less feminine rhyme. But uh, it made me wonder. Like, why would there be more of an emphasis on true rhyme in in like non hip hop inflected musical theater, like traditional American musical theater? And I have some guesses, but but that seems to be something he's totally not like he his explanation is all on on behalf of rap when like rap doesn't need an explanation like rap is totally in line with mm. the traditions of pop music it's 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 musical theater that's being that's unusual in this respect that it's songs that care also about true rhyme. Do you have a thought about that? I had I hadn't thought about it. I had music. I, I yes. I it's a it's an question that I don't specifically have an answer to and i'm sure your guesses will probably be more intelligent than mine i think you it's a it's an odd genre musical pitch i i've yeah the musicals i have listened to i've liked some of them i i mean i coming quickly going back to hamilton i mm. i think hamilton's version of rap music is a sort of bastardized pit, pop hip pop which is i mean i that line i'm just like my country i'm young scrappy and hungry i i i, I can't help but cringe at that line and i <laughs> I have listened to Ham. I've listened there are many to reasons to cringe at that line. I think the assonance is the least <laughs> troublesome part. <laughs> no, the rhyme. The rhyme is fine. Yeah. But the, the rest of the line, conceptually, I've, I've listened to Hamilton five or six times. I, I think it's a very, I think it's a very flawed piece of music. And yeah, I do think it is working within rap music, but rap music, but a very a low, a low edge of rap music, right? Sort of bastardized pop, aesthetic of rap music. It's, yeah, as, and as Brian's pointed out, it, it has it has far more in common with musical theater. Like it's, mm. it's musical theater that is tinted with rap and flavored with rap. Uh, but but yes. a lot of a lot of those songs are, are basically just straight musical theater songs. Why don't you say your guesses and about why you think musical theater has this obsession with full rhyme? And I'll try and say something clever as the thoughts come to me. Right. My I mean, my main guess is that so whereas like rap is you get ahead in rap by way of individual innovation like an individual mm. person you know sitting in his room with a book or with a with his memory pieces together rhymes and tries to make his voice stand out in a musical like the average development period for a piece of musical theater like a, if a musical that goes to broadway 
the average development time, the, the mean development time is seven years. And they're incredibly, you know, it's, it's enormously extravagantly expensive to produce a mus musical, uh, particularly in the, you know, like, and, and it's really the only type of live theater that still has the, the bigness of cast and budget that was common for any straight play, you know, in the 1950s. Like, and this is one of the things that's like crazy when you read a lot of the like big classic straight plays of mid 20th century is they'll have like 30 fucking people in the cast. And you're like, Jesus Christ, you have this guy who just comes on for one scene to say one line, why? Like, and it's because they had a budget for it. They could just do it. Mm. And like musicals still have, I mean, the way that like movies now, you have like a guy who's like the clerk in a gas station for one, and like, that's fine, because mm. you yeah. have the fucking yeah, budget for it. Like, why not? Mm. Yeah, it's fine. Um, musicals still have, still operate on that level, and it's partly because as with like Marvel movies in the theater, like they're big fucking spectacles. Like people go for a big over-the-top experience, and, and musicals can deliver that, but they're, getting a musical that actually works, like getting all the different pieces, the book, the songwriting, the composition, the music, the song lyrics, and the libretto, and all of the acting, and the dancing, and all of the tech, uh, getting all of that to work together, and all the elements I'm not even remembering to name, is so difficult, and so it's so easy to fuck up, that I think musicals are really, really reliant on convention. Like I think convention, is so important. The same way that like screenwriting is really, really reliant on convention. Also, when you're, you're, you're talking of the spectacle, I think maybe in that sense, full rhymes do add to that sort of sense of spectacularness because almost every everything is so perfect in that way, right? Yeah, I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm trying not to resort to sort of the, the good, the morally influenced aesthetics of the article, but right, in that right, way, right. everything is so clean and precisely made that that adds to sort of the spectacle of it. That is really true. And I mean, and that's the other thing is that because a musical, like the goal is to make it big and uh, and like you, to make it run for a long time, every move and sound and gesture is, is really crystallized. So that like we saw uh, at the big dramatic center in Durham, we saw a a, tra a touring production of the Book of Mormon, and then we recently saw a touring production of Hamilton. And I, I saw the the like filmed version of the the, the original cast of Hamilton on the TV, and then I, yeah. I at least knew of some of the actors from the original cast of Book of Mormon. And what you see is, you know, like often very good touring actors doing impersonations of those actors, like they're they're yeah. doing they're they're doing the original performance like they're hitting all of the same marks they're doing the same ticks it's like it's it's all a well-oiled machine and it's not just i don't i'm not uh you know I, I don't mean to dismiss them i just think like in order for the musical to work it is like a clock it's all got to be just so and so i think you're right that 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 just as the 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 spectacle you know the visual spectacle uh is has to be precise the part of the thrill maybe is the 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 perfect landing of every one of those rhymes as well mm. i mean the same yeah. like because that was the 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 place where like some of these some of these um art forms seem to or, or genres really seem to overlap was like i was looking at some of those those uh those closing couplets from 
uh, Don Juan, and then and then some of the like really silly uh, triple rhymes that he quotes from Sondheim and Gilbert, and then and then like in good good showy uh, lines from ra uh, rap songs, like that's. Mm. I think like new now hatred is by far the longest pleasure men love in haste, but they detest at leisure painkillers only put me in a twilight where pretty pussy and Benjamin is the highlight. Like, I think, I think like that. And then what was the, what was the, the Sondheim line where he rhymes personable with coercionable? Like I, to me, like those are all, that's where, that's where you see some of the same impulse. And again, it, it has nothing to do with morality. It has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with pleasure. Um, yeah, it's, it's you know it's just that the the occasion and the convention and the expectations may might affect the you know the the version of that pleasure that's going to be most appealing in the moment. Mm. Yeah, and there, there is to an extent a, a spectacle in hip hop. I mean, you know, this quote from the article he says a uh, well that he quotes a rap lyric that is uh, more concentration on my cadence might cloud your mind, controlling. Mm -hmm your movements capaciously which is i mean i think of um what igor stravinsky said about one of benjamin britain's adaptations of uh wilfred owen's poems and he says something about uh the boisterous literalisms of it and i mean this is full of literalisms of an incredibly sort of a lit the literal effect and lit literalizing of this cadence into sort of this incredibly alliterative, almost badly alliterative. I mean, this, this, yeah. these two lines are—I <laughs> don't think they're very good, even. For, in the, terms sec of and the second line is worse. Mm. For like, I, I would I, in, like to get if we can get like super nerdy for a second. I I would say that more concentration on my cadence might cloud your mind. That is alliteration. Controlling your movements capaciously, I, I think, is not alliteration because because like. Alliteration as a as a sonic organizing principle is concerned not with uh, not with diction or grammar, but with sound. And so, mm. what matters is not whether the consonant sound like for just as you can you can alliterate K with C. It doesn't matter what consonant you're using; it matters what consonant sound you're using. And it also doesn't matter where in the word the consonant sound appears. It matters where in the stress it appears. And oh, concentration, yeah. cadence, and cloud all fall on stressed syllables. Controlling and capaciously, that those are unstressable. Like the, that's yeah. why you they don't they don't sound as good because what you were, what you should be matching is the t in trolling and the p in capaciously. Would be that's my super nerdy take on those lines. No, no, I no, I mean the first line, and also because the first line has much more the the the, the stresses are much more closely grouped, right? I mean, yeah. you almost have a flow of continuous stress syllables on the uh, alliterative words about break i mean there is break but there's not much of it while the second one has a sudden jolt because you suddenly have movement at a very yeah. strong place in the line and it breaks it up um you also and you also get the m uh, more might and mind in the first line whereas you mm. only have that movements in the middle of that that uh sort of sloppy second line yeah but i mean i that second line doesn't rhyme so i think he must have broken the second line before the end of the bar or at least the the line quoted as a full second line, which i am slightly confused by but yeah, yeah I, think, I think i think you're probably right yeah i mean you talk about sort of the um the virtuosity of rap and how maybe not meritocratic maybe not completely meritocratically but it has 
a certain meritocracy and that sort of search of virtuosity in everybody in a ver in a verbal sense. Though, though mean, Juice I, World tried to prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I show, I sent you it was Juice World and Blueberry Fago most prominently sort of rap rappers who don't flow because they are relying on a more melodic auto tuned sense. Yeah. And that that is a pretty sizable subgenre of rap music today. Yeah. That is the Travis Scott trends. and the Young Thug were also didn't didn't tickle me, but Juice World was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Young Young Thug is I admire Young Thug because he does do things with sound and with lyrics that are different from most auto-tuned rappers, but he mm. isn't in a lyrical sense. He just likes to play around, play around with his pronunciation. But it's a nice refreshment compared to sort of Juice World and Travis Scott, who are sort of very well. Juice World's dead now, but they, 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 one of them churned, and Travis Scott churns out this type of music, which I don't isn't very similar to the rap music of the 1990s or early 2000s and not at all similar to the rap music quote in this article. And I just wish more conversations of rap took modern hip hop into account, even if they dislike it. But it just seems to me that a lot of writers don't really have a good understanding of rap music at all. Like it, it seems to me like some of these, you, you the distinctions you make are largely between like, you know, classic or at this point, like almost canonical rap, like Biggie mm. and Tupac or and then um and then the newer auto-tune rappers which you talk i know you've talked elsewhere about like the 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 slide of a lot of contemporary rap into something that seems fairly indistinguishable from just like straight pop music and then mm -hmm. the other category that seems significant is conscious rapper conscious rap or like conscious or political rap but that's conscious is the term that one encounters in rap and yeah and it seems significant though i uh don't i mean the only distinction the like in my little bit of exposure the like my rule of thumb with like christian rock like because christian rock is another category though like that's for good reason there's very little christian rock people uh, you can get christian uh, like, rap as well yeah christian oh christian i'm sure that's it but like <laughs> the 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 reason that i think christian rock tends to be bad is not because Christianity makes for bad artists, but because like you are putting another, like you're putting a constraint on the art form other than quality, mm. like other than goodness. Like yeah. you're saying it has to have this, it has to adhere to this ideology. Like the same with like, I'm sure if you wanted to create an artificial category of like Marxist rock, that would suck too, <laughs> as a rule. And you'd have a couple Sufjan Stevens in there to stand out, you know? Yeah. Um, but like conscious rap, is a significant category in rap that people are aware of and think about and talk about what what do you make of it because you you said a couple examples some of which i liked more than others but who who cares what i think what what do you what is what 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 should we know or think about conscious rap or consciousness in rap i think conscious rap is it's it's been present for the last 20 or so years it is a very loose genre and not connected at all music by mu by sort of by its aesthetic or in a musical or lyrical sense it's just connected by the fact that the rappers seem to be more alive in the sense that they they rap about or talk about directly or indirectly the political social or cultural issues 
um they seem to be they, more alive you said like more alive too right Lyric, oh like, okay uh, like yeah. more, more in touch with mm. things happening and this is related yeah. to like the the derivation of the 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 now like much bastardized term woke like i i say woke mm. i like being woke being conscious being aware of things right is this yeah i mean i'm yeah and in, in that sense all these terms are incredibly vague and almost meaningless right yeah but yeah, yeah. You, the, these rappers will talk more about political issues than other rappers and apart from that i think there's very little about them that's very special they tend to be the good ones tend to be very good lyricists much better than most other rappers the bad ones tend to be the ones who rant and write very bad metaphors and similes and are bad lyricists much like most rappers and most everyone is bad at most things right like, well, what what is it what does it mean to say the good ones tend to be very good lyricists like is it like they tend they, to be better like what's what is the they tend to be better there? than the most mainstream Mo they tend to be better than mainstream rappers or popular okay, rappers. Like the, even the, be the best conscious rappers are better than yeah. the best mainstream rappers. Yes. Okay. In most cases, yes. What, why? Why that, would that be? Often because I think they're both uh, they're aware of the mainstream and often play off the mainstream but subvert its principles. Like you get this with a lot of Kendrick Lamar's later albums that they use sort of the mainstream types of trap music but intermix that type of very popular rap with a political agenda, but often place that, but also instead of rapping explicitly about how you know, everything's bad and everything needs to be changed, they need to, they put in more implicit or more image-based lyrics. So in that sense, they, they play off the, the popular mainstream hip hop that surrounds them and often have a more complex lyrical ability to capture sort of their political view in lyrics that don't exact they're not they're less didactic and more image based than that right sense. i mean all of that makes sense as far as like why that would make them good but like why mm. as a category would the best conscious or political rappers be better than the best mainstream like that's oh, that's the thing sure. i can't quite get my head because like yeah because boy that could not be less true for poetry <laughs> i mean is no. aren't all cut poets conscious poets so i don't i don't is that can you make a distinction about sort of mainstream poets who aren't conscious poets in that sort of way? Well, but but conscious. I mean, conscious in this sense means something very specific, right? Like, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't because I. I mean, a conscious is is a little bit like one of it's like a political slogan in a way because it's saying like if you were conscious, you would be saying X. Mm. Whereas, like, presumably, some of the mainstream rap, some of the unconscious mainstream rappers might well be just as aware, but they're they're talking about something else. Like there, there's something else to talk about. Maybe, is that not? But I, mean, I think there's a no, but sorry, there's, yeah, a, go ahead. there's a a smallness of there's a less a smaller pool of subject matters in mainstream rap music that isn't political. In that, in I mean, conscious is a very vague term, and I maybe I misspoke when I said the best conscious rappers when I sort of place the best of that genre as better than another genre. Well, I guess what I mean is that by that is that when you come to sort of mainstream rappers as genre its subject matter is going to be if not conscious is going to be basically about fucking women having parties and living a sort of life and gloating about how expensive how rich you are and that to be yeah. and that is a very fair thing to do right and sure. it's based and like, if one's come from like poverty right and then suddenly smashed into riches with this sort of massive capitalist industry or to turn you into sort of music machine then that's a fair subject 
but that is a very that small selection of subject covers a vast amount of rap so when i say the best conscious rappers are better than the best popular rappers and guess what i'm saying is the best conscious rappers often have a wider variety of subject matter and often that variety is tinged with the political and that they can right. often use and parody the music of rappers who only talk who mainly focus upon parties or drinking they can often use or parody that music and com complexify that music with their own specific more complex and political politically tinged lyricism okay i mean so, so that argument makes a lot of sense to me that the the best the best rap basically like the best rappers have a broader range of subject matter mm. and some of that sure. range includes the political yes right yeah. as well as other but that, because some of that range includes the political they'd be classified as conscious right even if not all of that range includes the political. sure but then why would that not like why is that not true <laughs> i mean i don't know maybe i'm wrong but like i'm trying to think about you know like rem again like contemporary for me in poetry means like the last hundred years but like hmm. are the best poets poets who write about politics no like, not, why, but well, why not? Why is that? Why does that principle not hold then? I mean, like Yeats. Yeats has a pretty fucking Yates broad range, and he writes yeah. great political poems and great love poems, and you know. But like, but what, how it, the problem with political is hard to define when it comes to poetry because you can claim so many things are implicitly political, right? You can claim. I mean, is the do you think the wasteland is a political poem? Because it probably you, you could make a very good definition there. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I mean, so. So part of what I mean, so I think maybe part of what ends up happening is that if you are a rapper who does not merely and only write about having sex and being rich and and committing crimes, then then you're conscious. Like because because I also think of like maybe conscious yeah. maybe all conscious means as a broad category is not limited by this very narrow traditional range of subject matters yeah i, I think you're right there and i think to be fair, i think in some ways it's a falsity but i think in other ways it, it is a way of showing of saying all oh, this rap, this rapper is a little bit different or a little bit mm. weird and that they have seem to have a perspective beyond these certain topics to encompass a wider range of topics and that immediately becomes in some sense politicized yeah yeah there so he he um to briefly return to this, this article gopnik does make make this point that like i'm so tired of having because it's like anytime somebody makes a defensive rhyme they feel obliged to bring up this thing about rhymes being predictable or not and he he like, he's, he makes so much of the 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 unexpected rhyme and how it's the the big prize in poet in like rhyming po poetry and rhyming verse is finding an un unexpected rhyme and like i definitely know poets who get excited when they find a, a somewhat unusual rhyme or, or more more often it's not when they discover a rhyme or, or have what he calls a find but when they simply make a make a rhyme work that might not work like i know and i definitely have some thoughts about like well i don't just want to do shelf and self and breath and death but but like he just makes so much of this and it seems so silly to me i, I don't want to like I've talked about that elsewhere, but I, I will just say like, because he, he has this like pretty lengthy uh, spiel about how English is rhyme poor and uh, and and so it has all of these consequences and, and so much of rap is just trying to adapt to the, like how, what a terrible, 
what a terrible rhyming language English is and how English is really only for alliteration. I just wanted to like read the like an excerpt from uh, A. Stalling's rhyme manifesto that, that Alice and I talked about before because I just think like she puts this she puts this notion to bed really elegantly. Uh, she can, says, we both, can we both read excerpts? Because I have an excerpt from... Oh, please. <laughs> yeah, please, please do. So she yeah. says, English is not rhyme poor. It is only uninflected. On the con what me meaning I believe that like in many languages like romance languages where uh, there is a where, where that are rhyme rich often all that really means is that words have the same ending attached to them because mm. of grammar yeah. so she says on the contrary English has a richness in rhyme across different parts of speech whereas in many other languages rhyme is often merely a coincident jingle of accidents so. I think that's a pretty strong like, and it's not just it's, it's parts of speech, and it's also uh, different uh, rhyming across different linguistic roots. Like you can rhyme Germanic wor words with Latinate words, and you know, like that's part of the basically what part of what I think she's saying is like rhyme is fun in English in a way that it isn't in purer languages. But yeah, you, yeah. you go ahead. No, well, I my quote is slightly different, but yeah, no, rhyme is probably loud. It's got it's much more louder and vaster in English, right, than it is in, in different languages. It's, I imagine it's sort of in Italian and French, the rhyme is subtler and softer, right, especially with yeah. words with similar root endings. Well, in English, the rhyme calls atten attention to itself much more, and that is sort of the... And I agree with Stallings, and I think there is there's an excitement, I think, even more in finding in revolutionising old rhyming pairs that have been done that people say have been done to death and you find some new fascinating way of doing sight or light and night or breath yeah, and death course, right that seems course. to me more that seems to me in a way much more exciting than just finding some like finding your orange slash syringe rhyme right okay yeah i can't yeah orange and syringe is is, is nice i mean just it's a mm. wrench wrench rhyme but yeah i mean that's that's yeah, quite yeah. nice but no i mean i, 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 mean, I, 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 I yeah. totally i totally agree and she you know she says like there are no tired rhymes there are no forbidden rhymes yeah mm. no i was this article got me thinking about why i rhyme in the first place because it seems to me harder to defend rhyme in it than it does to defend meter i think it's it's pretty easy to defend meter in poetry because meter is basically the control the very surface um universal at root level control of the language itself and i mean ryan and um how to think like a poet talks about how meter is you know has this long passage on meter which i totally agree with and i think meter is essential to any poet writing anything even if they're not writing something that's strictly metrical say that's quote unquote free but rhyme is a different case in that sense and i was I was reading an article, I was reading Jerry Hill's collected essays, as you do, and um, I, Sla I came to his... off from your studies again. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was, God bless me, and I came to um, his long essay on a poem by Henry Vaughan, which rhymes night with light, which is a pretty, you know, used rhyme. Yeah. And after a sort of page-long listing of every time Vaughan has used light, the light and night rhyme in his poems, which turns out to be quite a bit. Hill comes up with this, these few paragraphs, which I think maybe, although they're probably almost as wordy as this New Yorker article do offer something as a more interesting take on rhyme. Yeah. I'll read out. One is a impelled or drawn to inquire whether that metaphysical rapture, belt, uh, 
uh, ret- sorry, that metaphysical retort belt to existence between certain English rhyme pairings is the effect common is sorry, is the effect of commonplace rumination or the cause of it. Borden in New Year's letter makes womb and tomb a trick of his devil's sophistry, implying the easy availability of rhyme as complicitous with our trite melancholy and angst. Sir Thomas Brownie, meditating in 1658 on funeral urns, making our last bed like our first, nor much unlike the urns of our nativity, may cause one to suppose that speculative pseudo-logic works independently of the gravitational pull of words. Yet he too is rhyming, in quotes, in a sense, only with shapes, not sound. Sigurd Burkhardt suggests that a pun is the creation of a semantic identity between words whose phonetic identity is, for ordinary language, the merest coincidence. Heard in this way, all rhyming is punning, as seen in the light of hermetical philosophy, all creation is a form of rhyming or union of elemental extremes. And I think in that last sentence, at least, there is something fascinating that rhyming is a yoking of extremes or a yoking of concepts together. And in some ways, I think the best sonic rhymes are the ones that take conceptual extremes and rhyme them together. And you do get sort of a yoking of the conceptual extreme with the um, sonic similarity. And that seems to be a very exciting part of rhyme. Like, like, I get very excited by the idea of light and night because they do place complete contradictions to each other in, in very sonically similar language, right? And that is, to me, one of the major elements of rhyme for maybe light verse, but also for serious poetry and contemporary poetry now at today. Yeah, and I mean, and I, I think there's just at the level of like simple pleasure, we we see this with like those those rhymes in English where that are simply a matter of a, of two words sharing the same ending, like dedication and meditation, are, are the least satisfying rhymes, and similarly you know, pl- rhyming a series of plural nouns that, that end with the same sound is is as a decreasing thrill. Uh, and, and as with, you know, just as like, if you read Tennyson's uh, In Memoriam, he like so scrupulously and consistently uh, only rhymes plural nouns with singular verbs <laughs> that at a certain point it would be more thrilling and surprising if he, if he just rhymed two singular <laughs> verbs. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but like there, there is a we like we understand intuitively that there's a pleasure to to a like a coincidence of surprise and recognition, like a, a, that that the two things don't perfectly match, but they do have this undeniable link, this like pre con like pre intellectual link that like even a baby can understand, which is just that the, the rhymes, the sounds match in this particular. Mm-hmm pleasing way which is and it's like it is i i wonder about like the development of these different conventions in in like prosodies across history because alliteration is wonderful like i just reread beowulf and like a lot of like there is in a lot of um good a lot of the 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 english you know contemporary poetry i like 
best, there's a very strong use of, uh, like in, in many cases, fairly consistent use of alliteration. I mean, Hausman alliterates almost constantly, but there's something about rhyme that feels more, I don't want to say more final because it is literally more final, but it's, it, it's, it's more undeniable. It's more ostentatious. It's, I, I don't know. And that may be an English thing. Like maybe that's really not the case in French, particularly when you don't have, maybe part of it is not, it's not just that English uses different roots, but it also is a language that relies heavily on stress. Yes. Because like yeah. in French where you're sort of, you're smearing through all the syllables in a way that doesn't, that doesn't bounce as much. And the endings are, it's less remarkable when they rhyme. Maybe it really doesn't, but like in English, boy, boy, rhyme has a snap to it that is a little bit unlike anything else the language can mm. do. Yeah, he says the good poem sounds like the click of a well-made box closing. And yeah, that is yeah. precisely what rhyme does. Um, you know, I mean, I was going to ask you straight up, why do you rhyme? Yeah. Uh, I, I think just because I like how it sounds. And I think also it feels, I mean, I write some poems I write in blank verse at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and that like, I, I have a, a different, in a different life, I write plays. So that's part of, I mean, I, I to me, that feels very linked and in, in fiction. So, you know, but uh, I feel often like I feel more convinced that the poem comes together when it uh, rhymes like in, in it's funny i have found that i now find it easier to read and understand metrical rhyming poems than i do free verse poems which really? shouldn't really be the case mm. but i think i've just like it's like a i my poem reading and thinking cognition has like picked up that pattern to it. I mean, it has made me wonder and worry whether I should find ways to shake that up. Um, oh, I mean, I think a lot, of, yeah. a lot of metrical poets get that right. I mean, Shane, I'm sure I read somewhere Shane saying that he, he, write, he, can't, he can't think of poems now in free verse. He can't think of a line of poetry in his head in free verse when he's trying to compose yeah. something. And yeah, I think that's a, you, you get your mind into that into the metrical and rhyme pattern so much that it sort of creates almost structures in, in comprehension, right, in four. And I, yeah. I, rhyme is a great sort of architectural technique. I think more and more I think of poetry as building. And like when they, people say poetry comes from the heart and you should write write down your feelings, I think, no, fuck off, build, build something out of language. And to, for, to me, rhyme is a part of that building so the laying the building of a tower of words or, yeah. the, or or a shape of words and that i think is a truly exciting thing about rhyme i mean i've been i've been doing a lately i've been writing a lot of poems that do rhyme almost cheap because they rhyme with words that are split across a line i think i had a poem recently i, I wrote i rhyme night with sight but i put sight less and I had another poem where i rhymed face with grace but it was graceless and I, I, I do like that sort of sense of yeah. both deferring and putting rhyme together. But yeah, Shane, Shane, Shane does that a fair amount. Yeah, I mean, he does even like not. Mm. He will even break words like not at the syllable. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, what? 
because I mean, there's another thing that like Ryan will do fairly often, which is um, break a sentence one word, like the sentence will end like one word or one syllable after the line break with the rhyme on it. Mm-hmm. So the sentence like very harshly fights the rhyme because you, you feel yeah. like you want to read through to the end of the sentence. And rather than having like a tidy, a tidy, you know, caesura to give you a couple syllables, like a couple feet after the rhyme, it, it's really right next to it. So it really clashes Ooh, with the rhyme. That's good. Yeah. I, it's funny because I, I hate it. Like to my ear, it's terrible. <laughs> But I know it's something he does deliberately, and I know, and like with Shane, like Shane will do, mm. Shane almost will like write in meter and rhyme, with like an like an aggressive attempt to fight against it in some way. Like he he sent yeah, me a, he sent me a really beautiful poem recently that was much more straightforwardly lyric and lyrical in its in its like patterning. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't know what. I don't know what I, I think that doesn't bother me as much as the, like Ryan's kind of near misses do. Um, mm, that, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. That seems to me, I like to call it something like a, a radical, radical uh, enjambment when you, you sort mm-hmm. of break a line so violently against it. And it seems to me almost like a, a, sort of a rancorous fight within the poem itself. Like the poem is struggling against its own, uh, constituents of building and I like that because it, there is an energy in it and a violence in it that often when applied to the subject seems not even mimetic but just as if the concept is flowing back into the materials the poem is working within and I just I find that exciting yeah I I sorry right, so there were these three lines from the Gopnik piece toward the end that I my, my response to them was like I agree with these especially when it comes to my own poetry, mm-hmm. but they seem like crazy things to say generally. Like I, like I, my, I was suspecting that like you would strongly disagree with these. That it feels mm-hmm. like he's making these kind of broad objective statements that to me are like, oh, they're totally consistent with like my personal rules of thumb, but like, what it like aren't there so many people who find these to be mm-hmm. not the case at all so he he says and they're all kind of circling the same rough idea uh he does like i think it's one of the places where he's like sort of smartly backs away from the the whole moral angle and and just deals with like the the effect and the pleasure is when he says that the the key when using ostentatious rhymes is that they be kept inside recognizably idiomatic speech, which like I also, in order for me to read a poem and enjoy it, I really need to be able to hear an at least theoretical human voice. But I know that's totally not the case for a lot of people. And like there was some poem Shane said like, oh, I love this on Twitter recently. And I read it and I thought, oh my God, it's so hard to read. Like it's it's like really <laughs> smart and really like every, it's like 80 caesuras per line and like it's totally unvoice like and it's just like like language crunched down into this sort of pure concentrated form that mm. i just found like totally miserable to get through but i also like i get that people genuinely enjoy that he says he then he goes on he says near rhyme half rhyme off rhyme odd rhyme assonance and identities slant rhymers all of it is potentially compelling and none of it is a sanctuary from sense What's always at stake with literature and lyrics is their relation to the world. And then the very end of the essay, he says, we cannot help test rhyme with reason. And like, I agree and 
and like apply those statements to my work but also like don't so many people like so much work that totally contradicts those claims yeah i mean doesn't nonsense poetry just contradict that completely right right i mean it just seems like like is that that just doesn't see then even when it's not purely a contradiction like you know it's not that it's not that Jeffrey Hill at his most dense and esoteric or Toby Martinez de los Rivas or whatever Canadian guy, I forget the chain. Like, like it's not that they're nonsense poets, but it does seem a little bit out of like inaccurate to say that like what's at stake is their relation to the world or we must t test rhyme with reason. But those just seem like not, it seems like, Mm. like one kind of poetry and maybe the kind of poetry I most respond to, but like there's so much, it just seems like yet another instance of this guy thinking that all, all like verse is just musical theater lyrics. Yeah. And they, I think this, the, the second two seem to me specifically quite vague. They're assertive and yet they seem very vague. Like what could he define testing? The poem against the world. I mean, he defines the sense with the violets are blue, are they? Question mark ending, <laughs> which is just terrible. Is oh, yeah. I sugar so sweet much. and you is the <laughs> just, terrible. Yeah, no, the second one though. It, it, I, yeah, I, I hate, I hate assert, vague yet assertive comments. I think I, I find them a lot in sort of language poetry manifestos, but yeah, they're, they're mm. terrible. The Coming back to sort of voices and what you say about the, yeah. uh, the voice, I think I differ in that. If I find a poem that voice seems somehow different to a typical human voice, or I can't imagine a speaker, I find that exciting because I find I have to put myself into a new perception of what a speaker is and what a speaker can do. And that seems to be very exciting, at least from my perspective. But I can understand how maybe you are drawn to a more, more idiomatic speech than I am. I've never particularly liked conversational poetry in that way. I've all, I've always found conversation. I've always thought, well, if I want to hear conversation, I'll go and talk to someone. I want I want poetry that does something new or that re redefines my understanding of speaking. I guess in that sense. So I so I I I, I mean I think conversational is 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 maybe more limited than I want to suggest because mm. I think like there are there are. Um, like I don't, I think like only in a very loose sense are like Browning's monologues conversational. Oh, I think so, like there's- yeah. And Houseman isn't conversational at all. No, no, no. And I mean, and and I, so I think like, I I don't mind an elevated voice. I mean like, or, or Hecht. I mean, Hecht always sounds like he's feigning a British accent as he did in life. Um, but like it's, the, I need, I need at least to, it, to me, it's not even that like, I prefer to feel like I'm listening to a human being sitting at the fireside with a glass of bourbon. It's that like, I, I have a hard time understanding it if I can't suss out the presence of a human voice. So I found just for the sake of conversation, the poem that I was thinking of the other day, uh, that, that Shane said, love this, love this poem. Um, and this is by Camille Ralph's whom I've never heard of. Um, no, it's, called, I. it's called Abel as Cain. And we should say that um, uh, Shane has a new book called 
Cain named the animal and and there's the, the title the poem that the title comes from is a poem in which he specifically talks about Cain and Abel so partly that you know I imagine this is this is picking up on a theme he's obviously yeah. invested in but it's uh, a great book you should read it but yeah yeah oh no it's yeah it's, it's yeah, yeah. it is good yeah it's a great book um uh the so this is this is a sonnet um I don't I'm, I the meter is another question because it's so dense and anti it's like the, it's hard to identify a cadence, but here I'll just read it aloud, and I, maybe I'll get more of it out of it this time. I just read it once before, but Abel as Cain by Camille Ralphs. Black light, restless and backless, roiling night, two legion raging tempests, testy sound bounds over boundless hours, coils of ground. Too soon the noonday demons teeming bright, wait, plow of all, and page and powers call. Come, Mayday, let my heydayed house and pen then rest in comfort, spared despair once, then come self, dumb self, torpor corporeal, if come it must, nonplussed, dashed on the sod, one self lies, one red-handed, trustless man wanders the bloody-sandaled land of Nod. Which one am I? No one's but everyone. For love and God, and for the love of God, the starry ooze and grace erased seem gone. And she's, she's included uh, uh, some of the little accent marks that Hopkins, so it's, it's, mm, it's yeah. identified as, as in the style of Hopkins' terrible sonnets. And she uses some of his little accent marks he likes to use on, on some of the, the yeah, otherwise gonna, unaccented words. I was going to say that no, it, it was incredibly Hopkinsian, right? I mean, I can't yeah. think oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it very con consciously, yeah, ha, ha, uh, yeah, reminiscent of Hopkins. I um, thought yeah, a, lot, a lot of sort of the alliterative and internal rhyme effects got more fascinating and starker when she reached the um, cane scene with a man wandering in. I don't have it in front of me, but a man wandering in fields of blood or something. I thought that that the sort of vulture yeah. of the poem really got One red-handed, trustless man wanders the bloody mm. sandaled land of Nod. Yeah, because suddenly she had a sort of con concrete image to work with, and then she and then she applied the effects, and we reperceive, and it's sort of a, a reperceiving of the image, and in that way she's working, I think those materials into perception itself. But you you, you don't hear a human, you don't hear a oh, voice. Christ you don't have to understand. It. I mean, like it's funny you heard it once through without seeing it. Um, this is the second time I've read it, and I have it sort of visually in front of me uh and you understood it better than i did like you kind of like even even that like one red-handed trustless man wanders the bloody sandaled land of nod like looking at it again after you've identified it as the, as like the cane scene clearly i can i can see that but like it's so the poem is so dense with sound and so like anti-idiomatic that even though it includes lines like which one am i no one's but every like clearly there is a character speaking but no human even in a play talks like this and so i can't track the meanings of the words according to any like theoretical perspective like there's, hmm. I, there's no voice i can trace and so i can't follow the thread like i can sort of like rigorously go through phrase by phrase and try to construct a kind of a like a grammatical sense that one could sort of force out of it but it's it's almost impossible for me to follow it like it feels it's it's the way i like i uh 
it it makes me like so there are there's a thing that um dyslexic people sometimes say about reading where they'll say that like the words won't sit still on the page mm. like they have a hard when they look at the words it's it's hard for them. sometimes they'll like either use a finger to trace the line or they have different tool you know tricks and tools they'll use because literally it's like they can't get the words to lie still in front of them that's what it's like for me in a poem like this like i can't track the voice so i can't follow what's going on so i me i can get almost no meaning from it do you feel like you're wandering in a sort of field of meaning i'm i feel like i'm wandering in a field of words mm -hmm. <laughs> no, <laughs> i wish i were wandering in a field of meaning i mean i uh, guess you don't wish you're wandering red-handed in a field but you no, know, i yeah, guess not, in, not in the way. land of nod yeah bloody <laughs> sandals no yeah i mean so i think i'm a i'm like i'm not a strong natural reader and i think there are plenty of people who probably have I, maybe i'm somewhere on like a spectrum of reading ability and there are other people who fall elsewhere but this is exactly the kind of poem that just leaves me totally adrift mm -hmm. um, but i also recognize that there's a lot of stuff here to like and that there are people who really like it um but yeah despite being written in it's despite you know being you know written in uh very respectable rhyme and I think meter though, like I, it would be hard to scan it just off the top of my head because of so much of it's monosyllabic and it's so like against the cadence of speech. Yeah, um, I try. I try to keep on with it, but I, I, there were a lot of trochees. I think it's probably going for something like Hopkins in stress, but yeah, I'd have to yeah. hear it again. And I also just I just say I find Hopkins also almost unreadable, like more readable than this, but but pretty like I know like every smart person I. Every smart poetry reading person I know prizes Hopkins as a poet, and I, oh, and, I yeah. and I know enough to like accept that verdict. But like, I fucking can't stand reading him. <laughs> just like it's so pain. It just feels like just fucking talk. Just stop. Just just settle down. Just settle down, Gerard. Uh, oh, good. I love Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. I know. You, I know. I, yeah, I don't doubt it at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I kind of know what you mean. I mean, yeah, I, I, I get that. I mean, I, I went sort of a poem. Oh, there was a poem you cited very on a very early episode. Um, it was the one about the don't tell the poets thing. And someone had written an article about that, about that social media phenomenon. And they had a sort of... A oh, yeah. Thing. That was yeah, the guy that, who included his own poem in the article. Yeah, that prize went that well, yeah, 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 yeah. too. Oh god. I got like, ten lines in and, and no. I, I hate that type of poetry. I hate the sort of the postmodern know, knowingness about it. I hate the sort of bland shot storytelling that doesn't go anywhere. So it you know, you hate Hopkins and <laughs> I hate that that type of poetry. Yeah, it was funny that yeah, that that I also found that poem very unpleasant to read mm. but it was if anything it felt uh yeah and i mean yeah there well there's there's plenty to plenty to there are plenty of ways poems can fail there's what's the um yeah uh <laughs> yeah 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 but no this is this is a strange this is a strange uh but yeah it, it, it poems like this which like probably to be honest do adhere to gopnik's rules more than i would give them credit for but let's i think of poems like this when i think that he's a little bit He's just like weirdly uh, presumptuous in saying um, we cannot help test rhyme with reason. Mm -hmm. and, and I, you know, none of it is a sanctuary from sense. Like, oh. I, very, I very much doubt Godwin reads much poetry. I mean, there was a lot of anger on a writer's fear when he said what's left of free verse today. 
and people there, well, what, what's <laughs> left of what's left of no, not sorry, not what's left of what's left, left, of, what's left of formal of, of light yeah. first of light first of light first yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and people what's left of like have you not read all these journals and yeah, right. yeah I love light verse journals I I don't they come up a lot of races but I'm not I don't like light verse probably to do with my sort of pretentious age and I'll get older and realize that it's very very good and has very sort of deep moral conclusions hidden within the, within the lightness like programs like bojack horseman have but yeah no i, I don't like light verse at the moment but yeah the new yorker it's the new yorkers stopped publishing light verse light verse continues happily on without the new yorker yeah oh, and yeah, without certainly. godwin's kind of attention but yeah no i think i um i mainly agree with what i think what alice said to you <laughs> i think this article does deserve to be skipped read mostly i I find Alice really interesting because she seems to me so different. I mean, I said this to you on WhatsApp. She seems to be very different in terms of sort of poetic sensibilities than I am. I mean, yeah. she, I think she likes Frank O'Hara, I think. And I've oh, yeah. never managed to like Frank O'Hara. But I, I think, you, I think, I don't, I think you, it, it's really good that you've got Alice to sort of balance out my, um, Hillian rancorousness and sort of modernist <laughs> yeah. pretension. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I'm probably, I'm probably somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Though, though, it's funny. Alice, both in her poetry, like in her own poetry, and in some of her affiliations, I think. Um, but like, I, I find like she is more friendly with what you might call experimental poetry than I am. And so I think like there, there may be a place where the two of you converge and, and uh, far away from me. But I think, I think broadly speaking, I might be somewhere on the spectrum between the two of y'all. That was my conversation with Cameron. You can find Cameron again uh, on Eratosphere at WT Clark. You can check the show notes for a link. Thank you all for listening, and um, and do and uh, do keep your ears uh, open for. I'm going to be bringing on the lyricist and composer Ian Brandon and Anne Marie Thompson, who are theater people, poetry people, musical people, and I think they may have some additional thoughts on the Gopnik piece. But but for now, that is today's show. Again, go to sleeverkits.substack.com if you want to sign up for a free subscription, and I will give you a week. Uh, as soon as I see your name pop up. That's all I got. Jesus, I'm fucking tired. Uh, with any luck, we'll be speaking to you all again very soon. Until then. Until then.